Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Hello. This is the part, this is part two of Boeing. Uh, so if you haven't checked it out, part one, go check it out before we, you listen to this one. Got some good stuff in the previous episode. All right, Hari, start us off with a disclaimer. Yeah, this is the uh, Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. We are not financial advisors. We don't know your specific financial situation. So please consult with a <clears throat> appropriate advisor before making any investment decisions. Awesome. Just three things really quick. Checklist. You guys want our checklist? Email us. If you want to be in the Slack channel, email us. If you'd like us to review a company that you have in mind, email us. All all, all those things, email us at info at valueinvest.org. Awesome. All right. Let's go right to it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the first part, we talked about the business side of Boeing and we kind of identified that they had a strong moat um, and the uh, ha- had a durable competitive advantage. But, you know, there were some risks associated with the, the 737 MAX and their reputation. Um, but we, you know, now, now that we understand the business, we kind of talk about the, the moat as it applies to a return on capital. So, um, so Becco, tell us about which metric you wanted to use here of the return on capital, uh, uh, metrics. And if, if you are not familiar with those, um, we'd recommend listening a few podcasts ago, we did a, uh, podcast about, the various types of return on equity, return on capital, and so on. Um, so we'll refer you to those um, if you want more uh, info. But Becca, what do you think uh, Boeing's return on capital is and which metric did you think was the best to use? Yeah, so I used return on capital employed. Okay. Because if you look at the balance sheet, you'll notice that equity base is very, very small. And if you further look into why that is the case, and that's because you, they have a huge liability. And you might think that, oh, wait, you know, their debt base must be huge. They must have you know, piled on a huge debt. And to some extent, that, that is true. But you know, for a company like this, they've actually quite managed debt level quite well. And so the reason why the equity base is so small and the total liability is huge is because, because of the bi- their business. Again, this goes, this goes to show... Well, you have to really understand the business before you look at the numbers here. That's the that's the the breakdown of the checklist. We start from the qualitative and then go into go into quantitative. Now, their business is they're they're in the business of building planes and then selling planes. And planes, of course, they're not ten dollars. They're not twenty dollars. They're in the million hundreds of millions of dollars. So what happens is in the transaction, let's say United wants to put in an order for ten. Boeing 737, they have, they pay in advance before they actually get the plane. So when I pay Boeing, and let's say I'm Southwest Airlines, and I pay Boeing $200 million, that, that $200 million is booked as a liability because I haven't received my planes yet. My planes come 10 years later. And that is why their liability base is so huge because they have all these orders that they've collected over the years and they're booked as a liability because they haven't delivered the planes yet. Therefore, the equity base is so small. So going back to the question of return on capital, return on capital employee, ROCE is what I use. And 
again, we always, always ask people to use multi-year number because of, you know, one-year fluctuation can really distort the number. So if we do that, you're looking at a company that's generating return on capital employed at about, you know, 16%, 16 to 20%, I would say is the range there. So okay, that's the number. All right. Um, we'll move move on to this uh, to the next section here because sixteen to twenty percent for a capital heavy business is pretty pretty darn good. Um, but uh, from a financial standpoint, um, you know, we just talked a little bit about the the cash and the debt level. Uh, tell us how much cash do they have? Like you know, current ratio. Uh, things like that. Does that, you know, are they going to be at risk of running out if they have such a huge current liability? Uh, and and then uh, tell us a little bit more about the debt level. Yeah. So right now they have, um, again, this is this is going by their 10K in 2019, their 2019 number. So on their balance sheet, they have about $9.5 billion in cash. And in terms of debt, just, you know, in the classical sense, them borrowing money, they have about $27 billion booked as debt. Now, if you look at current ratio, current ratio, you just want to make sure that, you know, it's not too heavy in terms of liability base so that they're able to pay out if, you know, shit hits the fan. So current li- current ratio, you're talking about one, which is pretty decent. But I also like to look at this number, quick ratio. Quick ratio takes into account basically same thing as current current ratio, and then you subtract inventory out of the current asset. And so because it, it makes sense, right? If actually shit hits the fan, you can't just quickly liquidate inventory and turn them into liquid cash and pay off debt. You can't do that. And so quick ratio is if really shit hits the fan, you know this is what you look at, and Quick ratio is about 0.3. It's been about 0.3 for a long time. So, you know, from that standpoint, um, you know, they have, you know, they, they have, you know, three times as much liability as really liquid current current asset. Okay. So that's, uh, that's that. And then, you know, again, kind of traditional method of, Evaluating debt level for us has been always free cash flow versus debt. And you always want that number to be below three. And in fact, for a company like this, I was expecting just debt to go up insurmountably. But in fact, they've done quite well in terms of maintaining that level. Uh, so excluding this year, or sorry, last year because of huge uh, max, you know, max 737 accident, things, stuff like that. If you look at debt divided by free cash flow, you're you're looking at around one. Okay, so not which not, is, not which is quite healthy. Yeah, not not too bad. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so let's. Uh, you mentioned free cash flow, so kind of give us a how how has that been for the last few years? Yeah, so free cash flow. Let's take a look. Uh, again, we have to sort of exclude 2019. Uh, 2019 just has been a horrible year, and then probably 2020 as well because of COVID. If you look at free cash flow, you're looking at about 13, or I guess previous year, 2018, you, they generated about 13 billion. Year before that, 11 billion. Year before that, seven, six. Uh, so they've been growing free cash flow quite, quite nicely. 
Okay. Um, ever since the recession hit in 2008, they sort of, you know, they hit rock bottom uh, in 2008 with negative two billion free cash flow and then rose up all the way to 13 in 2018. Okay. Um, all right. Let's um, shift gears a little bit here. We talked about the financials and the business. Um, we usually do a cursory look at the management um, of a business to make sure that uh, management is doing the right thing with our with our equity or our cash um, and uh, and the and and excess capital in this case um, and you know kind of looking at their incentive structure to see what um, are are they aligned with shareholders so kind of give us your take on management uh, here yeah. So one of the things that we love to look at is total shareholder holder return. And what, by that, what, what we mean is summation of, of stock buyback and dividend. You add those two up and you divide that number by free cash flow. Okay. And what that tells you is that are they using, are they doing these things, shareholder return and actual cash payment or stock purchase with free cash flow? Are they doing it with that? And and one time sort of you know one time spike is no problem. But if they're consistently, you know, going into the negative just to pay out in terms of dividend or just to purchase extra stock, that sort of is is a red flag. And so if you look at that ratio, um, that number has been you know pretty consistently negative. But I found this kind of interesting, and this might be a trend that we've been seeing for a long time. If you, again, Boeing has been around for a long time, so we have all this data to play around with. If you look at from 2000 to, to 2010 and look at the number of years that that ratio went above one, so meaning they spent more on total shareholder return sort of thing than they that they had left, it was zero. They had no years from 2000 to 2010 that they did this. Now, turn the chapter over to the to the previous decade, from 2010 to 2019. They had four years where they dipped into, or they, they had more cash paid out in terms of stock, stock buyback or dividend uh, than free cash flow for four, four, for four years out of 10. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just I just think that this is a trend that we've been seeing in many many companies. Um, so and what do you what do you see um, in um, it, it, you know as far as the, the management? Um, you know they they have relatively new management after seven three seven. So you know kind of tell talk us through what what you see there and what you like and don't like. Yeah, so from incentive structure standpoint, it's always important to look at this uh, to see how they're incentivized. Um, if you look at that, they're incentivized. Their 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 performance is judged in four categories: free cash flow, revenue, earnings per share, and then total shareholder return. So again, free cash flow, revenue, earnings per share, and total shareholder return. I like the fact that they're looking at free cash flow. In fact, I think this is only, I think it's a rare occasion that people actually are pegged, their performance is pegged on free cash flow. And so I would say, you know, this, uh, this is a good sign. And as you mentioned, Hari, 
they just they had a huge sort of turnover in terms of management you know from the max uh max 37 30, uh, 737 incidents and so we have a huge you know huge you have a huge uh, different cohort or sep- you know new cohort of, of of leadership and executive ranks in boeing so we'll see how they do uh you know in the coming years just to keep in mind that they're the, the guys who are running Boeing now are sort of new. Okay. Um, all right. So we, I think we've answered, you know, a lot about the company, um, the financials. Um, I think we're at this point, the question that we have to look at is valuation to see, is this a worthwhile ex- investment? Uh, and um, as we talked about, we don't buy companies that are at or near their value. There has to be a significant discount to their their valuation which we call the margin of safety so um tell us what estimates and assumptions you're using uh in the model and then kind of give us your your take on your valuation yeah so again i just always like to preface this by saying that you know free free discounted cash flow analysis you can really fool yourself into thinking that this is precise number and you can stick with it if anyone has done any sort of analysis on you know, using this kind of cash flow, you can really change the numbers based on the assumption. So really, assumption is where everything is. So what I did was last year, free cash flow went at negative because of max in- incident. And I suspect that 2020 is also going to go into negative because of COVID. And so it's really sort of difficult to use that number as a starting point. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I went back to the recession time. Again, this company has been around for a while. We have all this data to play with. So I went back to the recession time back in 2009, 2010. Their free cash flow once you know dipped into negative, but then they recovered to about a billion, about two billion dollars in free cash flow. So I thought you know maybe that's a good starting point there. So we start with that. So two two billion dollars in free cash flow. Start with that, and then again we always use ten percent discount discount rate. So from first year to the three first three years, so from you know this year to three years later, I would say overall on average, I think the growth rate you you probably look at somewhere around three to five percent. Okay, right, and then from there, you know, it, it might go up a little uh, to about five percent, but I don't expect them to, you know, ex- to, you know, to experience sort of, you know, kind of explosive growth at all. Right, this is a mature business. You know, there's only so many customers out there. So I would, ex- I would expect seven, seven to five percent there for the rest until the termination. Okay. So if you put on, put in these uh, kind of estimate, and again, share outstanding debt level, cash level, put put in the formula, intrinsic value per share. You're talking about, a, you know, about fifty to forty dollars per share. Okay. For- is intrinsic value. All right, and what are they trading? At? What are they trading at right now? They're trading at right now 180. Okay, so that that was based on an assumption of two billion dollars in free cash flow. So, yep. so if you look at the last like four or five years, you know th- that number has been as as high as ten, right? Yeah, for sure. So what if we what if we started with a more normal assumption of like six to eight? You know, how, how does that affect the model and Let's try that. We could do, you know, I think, I think we comfortably, I think we could comfortably say six. Yep. You know, um, sorry, I'm just putting in the formula. If you start with six, you're getting about hundred dollars per share. 
Okay. So, I mean, in order to be, you know, reasonable, right. I, I think, you know, in a, in a, you know, we, I, I think your growth rates are pretty, you know, conservative, which is what we would want to pick. Um, it, it, let's say in the best case, you know, we, that, that the real fat free cash flow was closer to 10, uh, you know, what, what would that look like? Again, yeah, I just want to preface by saying that this is like the best case scenario for them, right? Yep. Because they only, so like they hit 11 and 13 in the last couple of years. They did in 2017 and 2018. They did that. Right. But this was like the only time they actually did that. Uh, in the past, it was all single digits. So best case scenario, we'll start with, we'll start with initial free cash flow of 10 billion. Then you're talking about about 150. Okay. So, I, I mean... At this, you know, if Boeing were went on sale today for fifty dollars, seventy five dollars, you know, remember that this is not a growth business, right? Um, you may get paid back in free cash flow, uh, or I'm sorry, share buybacks and so forth. But is it really worth, um, you know, putting your capital at risk for a business that is is essentially grossly overvalued at this point, right? you know in the best case scenario it's still overvalued right if we we assumed a grow you know a stable free cash flow of 10 billion dollars yeah and you know to me it's a con i mean you know like we said these growth rates i think it's pretty at you know conservative growth rate ass assumption especially given covid and especially given max q or sorry max in the max 737 incident but, you know, I think, you know, who knows what's going to happen? To me, it's very difficult to predict. Yeah. You know, when when is the inflection going to be? I'm sure things are going to go back to normal. I don't, I don't think anyone is challenging that. Yeah. But, like, when is that going to be the case, I think? Well, and I, uh, that will substantially make a huge difference in terms of your valuation calculation. Well, and I, I think it's also, you know, it's probably not going to be 2020. It's not... You know, it may take till 2022, you know, until you see, you know, a decent amount of free cash flow again. So um, I, to me, the, the problem that I have with businesses like this is that we're using very conservative numbers, right? So there's no point in my mind of using aggressive numbers, right? Because I, I think as soon as you start doing that, you can say, well, yeah, I mean, I'll use a growth rate of seven or eight to 10% use, you know, $12 billion because that's the last good year. And, um, you know, I can, I'll lower the disc, you know, the, the interest rates are so low, so we'll use a lower discount rate. Right. So in, in our, uh, the whole point of being conservative with this is that you want to err on the side of caution. And then on top of that, you have a margin of safety so that even if you screw up your assumptions, you know, you're a little bit too aggressive with your assumptions, you have a built-in buffer to still make a decent amount of return, return right? And, you know, I, I think the, the investment community, the value investing community has missed out on, you know, a lot of the bull market because they've been very conservative, right? And we've all kind of expected the, the you know, the tables to turn, right, in terms of uh, a recession to hit, um. But, you know, one of the challenges that we have seen in the last 10 years has been this interest rates have been so low, 
right? So if you look at some of the people like Seth Klarman and, you know, these traditional value investors, they've held their traditional kind of portfolio, but have lagged the market over the last, you know, decade. Um, but, you know, if you look at value investing over the long haul, right, it's the only strategy that actually makes sense, right? Because a lot of these people who are bidding up Tesla and Amazon and so forth, that doesn't mean that they're bad businesses necessarily. It's just you're way overpaying for what they, they have, right? And a company like Boeing doesn't have a lot of growth to fall back on, right? And so I, I just don't know how it's going to continue to operate in this you know capacity. So, uh, you know, yeah. at, at such an expensive price, right? Because all things will change, um, you know, in, in a recession type environment. And I wanted to point out also that, you know, I think we've been getting some complaints that every company that we look at, we say no to, except maybe one or two in this podcast. But, you know, that's the point, right? Yep. You want to look at companies, you want to you want to have a concentrated portfolio of really good companies. You don't want to own a basket of 100 or 200, right? You want to own companies that really matter to you. And uh, so, and I, I would say that that good value investors they're probably going to be saying no 80, 90% of the time or more, right? You're not going to be able to find, you know, really compelling investments every day. Uh, but the whole point of doing it is to, is to look and keep track of good companies. And then if they do go on sale, like, um, you know, we saw a huge drop in the market in March, you know, during COVID, you have a list of, of stocks to go after. Right. And I think, um, you know, there were a lot of businesses that were on sale at that point, but there weren't a lot of people putting their money down because they were saying, well, it's going to continue to go down, right? But if you, if you, you know, bought when they were below your absolute price, you would have made money, you know, and could have doubled your money in a few months, you know? So I, 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 all I, uh, all this is to say, you know, is the exercise here is not, we are not in the business of finding good investments every day. I, and I would say when markets are peak at their peak, or are hitting all-time highs, you're probably not going to find a lot of good deals. So, uh, but that means that you put your cash, you know, in the deposit safe deposit box, and then you you wait until your you know the pitch comes, and then you hit the ball out of the park. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right, that sort of concludes our podcast in this episode. I uh, just want to point out thanks uh, to all of our listeners for listening and also encouraging us and sending us emails. Really, really appreciate all of that. And uh, if you guys have any companies that you would like us to look at, you know, email us, tweet to us, whatever, leave us comments, call Hari, get his phone number, visit his, you know, knock on his door. Please don't do that. <laughs> Mail him. Do whatever you can to get him. <laughs> you can just but message anyway, me I, on Slack. That's that's the best way to get a hold of me. There you go. Yes, message him on Slack. Anyway, we really appreciate all of you listening uh and hope you guys can join us in the next episode. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm.